And um, if you have your Bible, I want us to be able to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 3. We are going to be in chapter 20, or rather in verse 21 to verse 26. I am also super grateful for the wonderful series that uh, is going on here. The series about God. And last week I happened to have watched uh, the series, uh, the, the sermon by Pastor Lorraine. And uh, I couldn't help but want to go back and uh, watch a movie called Interstellar. Yeah, you know the whole thing about bending time and being able to see what happens. And it kind of brings up some interesting philosophical questions. Like for example, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody witnessed it fall, did it fall or did it not fall? Yeah, there's something to be able to ponder. Does the fact that you witness an event make it uh, real or not? Yes, it's something to do with the uh, observation uh, paradox. Yes, whether if something, somebody saw something or not. All right, if you are in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it's a wonderful passage for us to be able to, to look at and to read. The Bible says this, but now, I'm reading from the ESV version, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for these words that are before us. We ask you to fill them and imbue them with your Holy Spirit. Father, unless you quicken our hearts, it's difficult for us people to connect with you. So would you allow this moment to be a deep and wonderful connection for all of us. In Jesus' name we do pray and believe. Amen. Let me go ahead and also say something important that good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, wherever you're joining us around the world. You may have stumbled upon this uh, uh, clip uh, by pure accident. You're just surfing through the internet and you came across this uh, uh, stream. Let me go ahead and be able to say karibu sana. And uh, we love people here at Mamlaka Hill Chapel. Let me go ahead and also ask you to subscribe to our channel. We have wonderful, wonderful teachings here at Mamlaka Hill Chapel. And so that you can be able to get notification, go ahead and tap on the bell icon so that you can be able to join us at any one time and you can be able to get a notification. Thank you. Now, uh, the message today is a God of our salvation. And we're able to be able to grasp the wonder of the gospel. And to be able to understand that through Jesus Christ's death, as, as Christ Jesus Christ's death, he has righteously dealt with the problem of his wrath, and the salvation is available to all of us. Now, not too long ago, we had a bit of a crisis in this country. There was no fuel. And uh, I think quite a number of people happened to have queued at petrol stations. Now, if you have noticed that quite a number, especially here in, uh, in Nairobi, our petrol stations have, 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 have evolved. They're not just places where you go and fuel. It's places where sometimes you can even go and have a family outing. You can go and have some pizza. You can go and have a bouncing castle. You even bouncing castles and all manner of things. There are even supermarkets in, in uh, a couple of petrol stations. But I don't know if you realize the following, that during the crisis, 
It did not matter whether if you had all these bells and whistles. What mattered is what? If you had fuel or you did not have what? Fuel. And quite a number of multinationals found themselves in trouble with a lot of infrastructure that you could not be able to support. Why? They didn't have fuel. And we also high-end cars uh, making long queues at small little petrol stations. Why? Because that is where fuel was. And what does that tell us a little bit about, uh, about, uh, about us? That as you come to church and as you interact with all the wonderful things that happen over here, it is good for us to be able to ask ourselves, at the end of it all, what is the core business of the church? And even as you go through this, is about God, the almighty God. Why do we come to church? We come to church because we want to have an interaction with the gospel, the good news. And there's something I think all of us, who, any of us, if you went through the 844 system, if somebody comes and asks you, what is the gospel? You're likely to say what? It is the good news. But let me go ahead and actually be able to say that the word gospel is not actually original to uh, Christianity. It was actually a Roman term. And the gospel, or rather, evangelion at that moment, what was it? It was the announcing of the birth of a new king or a new emperor. So whenever a new emperor was born, the messengers were sent out throughout the entire Roman Empire to declare that a new king had been born. And why was this as an important, significant event? Because it meant that in the, if this current, current king died, there would be a progression. There would actually be another king to be able to take over. Thus, it was good news. It was continuity that was, uh, that was, the, there was continuity that was there. And so when Jesus Christ comes, it is interesting that Jesus is not born in a, in, a, in a palace, neither is he born in a place of great riches. He is born in a lowly manger. But by virtue of his kingship and by virtue of his glory, he is able to transform a simple manger, an, an animal stable, to become the most glorious place where kings from the east and where shepherds are able to come and worship this newborn king, thus being able to transcend any earthly king that could ever exist. But then also, there is a much deeper reason as to why you have come. You have come because you want to have a reconnection with God. Why? Because there does exist an enmity between you and God. And that enmity exists because of what we have done. We have a disconnect with God. Why? Because when you go back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2, we find a world that is created. It's a beautiful world. It's a world where God is there. And because God is there, and because God is the source of all goodness, what does he declare? Things. He says things are good. So when Adam and Eve sin in, in Genesis chapter 3, what happens is that there's a break in the relationship between God and man. And as a result of the break of that relationship between God and man, there is enmity between us and God. And there is a chasm, or rather a valley, that cannot be bridged by anybody, which brings about a sense of separation. Now, we live in a world whereby relationships are key. And all of us here, at one time or another, or even as we speak at this very moment, you may be aware of a person or two Oh, your relationship with them is a little bit strange. And why is it strange? In many instances, it has been strange because of the aspect of a misunderstanding or, in a sense, as a result of sin. 
That is what enmity with God brought about. It brought about a break in all manner of relationships. Because once the vertical relationship is spoiled, then even the horizontal relationship is, is going to be marred or going to be destroyed in one way or another. And that is why in the book of Romans chapter 1 verse, 7, uh, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says these very interesting words, which I think all of us have come across in our new discipleship classes. The Bible says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, this is Paul saying, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also to the Greek. Verse 17, For in the righteousness of for in it, or for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, the gospel is very key. And I think the minute as a church or any church which at the end of the day is not able to come back and talk about the gospel, there is something wrong with it. And before long, you are going to be saying any, any other thing apart from that which God wants us to be able to understand. But then, it's important for us to be able to understand a bit of a context of where we are coming from. So, Genesis chapter 3 occurs. There is a break in the relationship. As a result of a break in this relationship, what happens? There is need for a bringing together of two parties which are at war with each other. From where we get the word atonement. Now, atonement actually means is to do bringing one together. And why is that important? Because not unless there is atonement, there can never be a, a reconciliation between two parties. And perhaps we're able to gain a privilege of this. The first people who are able to experience this is none other than the Israelites themselves. Because you see, God comes and dwells among the Israelites. And in the book of, Genesis, uh, in the book of Exodus verse 25, God is dwelling among the people in the sanctuary. And as he's dwelling with the people in the sanctuary, there is but a problem. You see, God cannot be able to live among a people who are sinful. So what happens? God is able to provide a sacrificial system. A means by which he is able to deal with their sin and his wrath, of their sin, of his, and his wrath towards their sin. And so, uh, what happens is that God even ordains that for the people of Israel... Once they are in the land, they are going to have a day. A day in which they are going to set aside in order to be able to worship God. This day is Yom Kippur, which is very well described out in Leviticus 16. And what happens in Leviticus 16? In Leviticus 16, it's a day of the, the entire nation fasting. And why do they fast? They fast in order to be able to to think about where they are. For the first time I'm thinking in Kiswahili, you know, when a ungama dambizao, you know, they want to confess their sins. And why do they want to confess their sins? They want to confess their sins so that they can be able to continue to have a wonderful relationship with God. But then, who does this for them? God provides for them a person, a high priest. But this high priest is also a human being. So the very first thing the high priest has to do, he has to offer sins for himself. Literally, an entire bull is slaughtered for the sins of the high priest himself. After this, the high priest is able now to offer one goat for the people and another goat on which all the sins of the people are placed upon that particular one person. Hello, young man. Keep on moving. 
And so what happens is that uh, God is able to offer, or rather uh, a, a, a little... My thought of that. Okay, go back. Thank you. So there's a second goat. And the second goat is the goat on which uh, all the sins of the people are placed upon. And then what happens is that this goat is sent out into the desert. And there it takes away the sins of the people. But then this sacrificial system in and of itself is not sufficient. And that is why Isaiah in chapter 53 of of the book named after him talks about a person who's going to come, a much better person who is going to suffer death and in order to be able to die on behalf of the people. And so in there, we find God trying to be able to work out a relationship for us. But then also, there's something else that is interesting. Still under this context, there's an aspect about God's righteousness. How does it look like? First and foremost, we have a God who is a God of justice and also a God of mercy. And uh, a God of justice is one who will not let sin go unpunished. He must punish sin. But at the same time, how does God reveal himself to Moses when he first meets him? He tells Moses, I am the God who, ha- and the God who is merciful and who shows mercy from one generation to the next. So we have a difficult cha- we have a challenge over here. Can a God who cannot be able to stand sin be at the same time a God who is able to show mercy at the same time? Who can be able to offer this solution? The solution can only be provided by God himself. And so because God is faithful to, him, to his promises. You see, when God speaks, his word is binding. When he makes a promise, he does not change his mind. The question at stake is how can he keep his unconditional promises to the nation of Israel, yet at the same time remain faithful to his word and to, to his word that he would punish sin. And that is where the gospel comes in. And this is what Paul is trying to be able to describe in Romans chapter 3 from verse 21 to 26. Now, if you have your Bible, may I ask us to be able to track, track with me in these verses. The Bible says this in verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now, interesting that a word starts off with, but now. Last week was a very significant uh, uh, day for, in the Christian calendar. It was what you call Reformation Sunday. And why it was Reformation Sunday is because some years ago, uh, a monk by the name of uh, Martin Luther would read these verses and they would have a whole new meaning to him. Suddenly he looks at this verse and, and he realizes that the way the church was running at that time, it was offering another way of getting to God. But in the book of Romans, something was a little bit different. But now a righteousness from God has been made manifest from the law, apart from the law, and, that bear, and, and, the, and the law and the, and the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And verse 22 goes on to say this, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So, how is the problem of sin? And how is the gospel going to be articulated for us? The key lies in a word in there, which we find the word righteousness, from which you get the word justified, just or justice. 
And these are the same words that Paul is talking about in chapter 1 verse 16. Here, we are able to see something very important. First and foremost, there is a character of God. The character of God, God being righteous. But at the same time, there is that character of God, of Him being righteous, which is then given to us. How is that possible? It's a quality of God, which kind of like explains God, which kind of defines God. And that is passed on to us. Nothing we can do can change the fact that God is angry with us. We need God, uh, we need God to be able to step in the space in which we are in. But then there's something else. This, uh, this knowledge has been made known. And with this phrase, Paul reminds us of his theme sentence in chapter 1 verse 17. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And his assertion is that we sh- we, he is not ashamed of God's saving grace or gospel because it reveals God's righteousness. And this is a vital point in the book of Romans. That's why when you come, what has come before? Because what is the premise of the entire book of Romans? The premise of the book of Romans is this. Everybody has sinned. Nobody ever thinks about that which is good. Now, one of the things that occurs in the world nowadays, we always think of, now, popular knowledge always goes like this. We always think about good and evil as two equal opposing forces. That's why many people think about uh, good and evil. In fact, I think there's a very popular movie right now on Netflix, School of Good and Evil. And uh, in the School of Good and Evil, there is need to be able to do what? To balance good and evil. But uh, if you have interacted with good, you'll always notice that as long as you are in a space of doing good, it only brings forth better and better. You, you, you know, there's, there's a certain equilibrium that is maintained by being good. There's something good about it. Yeah, good. There's something good about just being good. Now, have you ever noticed that it only... In fact, I don't even want to say anything because at this point, if I, if I say anything, then I introduce an aspect of, uh, of bad... It begins to mar everything immediately. Uh, not too long ago, I ruined a very nice uh, trouser of mine. Basically, this is what happened. Uh, helping out in the kitchen, handled a little bit of some jig. Washed my hands quite well. I thought I'd washed my hands very well. Now, what is the English word for Kolivarifa? Kolivarifa. Kolivarifa, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I shook my hands, yes. And uh, what happened is that tiny specks of jig happened to have landed on my what? On my trousers. And immediately, or it didn't happen immediately, about two days later, as you know, clothes are being folded, notice some, some small little spots. Usually jig spots tend to be like uh, somebody has burnt your trouser. So I was wondering, somebody burnt my trousers, and they were very specific. Now, the problem with black is this. Wherever you walk, people will always notice the what? The spot. The, the entire trouser is black. Nice. But can, uh, there's something over here. Uh, no, no, no. It's, it's jig. Uh, oh, is there something wrong with the No, no, it's jig. And before long, I do not wear the pair of trousers anymore. Is it okay? It's perfectly okay. But it has been murdered or destroyed. That is what sometimes, that's what sin does. So, there's nothing that one can be able to do to sort out that space. And so it takes an aspect of God being able to come into that space 
to, and, and for him to be able to sort that uh, issue of sin in our lives. Now, the significance of this element or what has gone before is this. God's solution must be apart from the law because no one, no one does good. Uh, or good, our good can never be sufficient. I cannot be able to bring back the pair of trousers unless I take them back to be dyed. I mean, that would be a whole, that's a, that's a whole uh, other business. And so we need to be able to, to ask ourselves, so what's going on over here? The law and the prophets serve as a shorthand for the Old Testament. Paul had probably, as, as the whole notion of the Old Testament in his mind, when he talks about the law and the prophets, and what is it that the law and the prophets are trying to do? God is trying to help us to be able to know that from the very beginning, he's been trying to sort out this issue between us and God, the problem of sin. But nothing seems to be working at all. Verse 22, the Bible goes on to say this. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom, good for, whom, good, whom God put forward. Now, God puts the whole, or rather Paul puts the whole of mankind on a level standing when it comes to receiving righteousness from God. There is no difference. Every human being, every single human being, at the end of the day, is in need of being able to be connected with God. Verse 22, Paul talks about, uh, Paul will define what it means for a believer to have faith. But the incredible thing is this, the scope of the gospel cuts across all people. Whether they were Jewish or Gentiles, they all have fallen short of God's glory. And why have they fallen short of God's glory? They have fallen short of God's glory because God in his distinctions can never, God's distinctions are very clear and they are, they, they are succinct. They cannot be changed in any way. The reason why there is no distinction for how people are saved is because everyone has sinned. And Paul summarizes his argument in this way. All have sinned in the past and continue to do so by falling short of God's glory. We are all in the same boat facing condemnation. And None of us wants to be in that space or feeling like we have, we have fallen short of, 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 of God's glory or, of, or in anything. But that's the space in which we are in. Back in, the, back in school, we used to be told that a near miss is the same as a what? As a mile. And uh, it, it doesn't matter whether if you miss by a millimeter or you miss by a kilometer, you still did what? You still missed. Uh, classic example is that just last night I was watching uh, Man City play against Fulham and uh, uh, what's this guy he, he happened to have scored a goal, one of the Man City players, uh, uh, Haaland he, play, he scored, but there's a problem he was marginally offside despite all the celebration that had occurred before that, once the VAR referee came up and said that he was offside, the goal did not what? the goal did not stand and in a sense, sometimes that's the way our lives are like. And that's sometimes generally how, we, how the world views our connection with God. I am a good person. I'm just trying to connect with God. You know, I don't do you know, nothing. I'm just a good person. You know, I go to church. I do all the things that people are supposed to do. I give quite a bit of what I, I have around and about me. But we still fall short 
of God's glory. And verse 24, the verdict is quite clear. Because verse 24, uh, we talked about the, the, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, all of us, there's only one way we can be able to find salvation. Because even though we all face condemnation for our rebellion, Paul declares that we are to be justified or to be declared righteous. The key question is how? And uh, how can we be able to, how can Paul talk about, uh, or how can, we be able to talk about, how, how can we be able to find salvation? And uh, I'm thinking about an example here, and let me think of, of, of a situation. I think about uh, one thing that happens here is weddings on a regular basis. Now, a wedding is one of those very important days in any person's life. I mean, if you, if you happen to get there, it's, it's something that you prepare for some time. And having been involved in family ministries, I happen to have known couples who had been in the journey for about two years, sometimes one year, sometimes six months. But at the end of the day, the wedding day was always very different. Now, imagine uh, a young man and a young lady who have uh, been able to give a date for their wedding, December 1st, as the day when they're going to be getting married. Obviously, it's going to be looming big because it's not just going to be about them, it's about family. But, on that very same day of their wedding, uh, the couple are, are thinking about how to be able to make things a little bit better. So what they decide to do is this. We're going to have a wedding, but it's going to be in the afternoon. Why? Because what we want to do is, is instead of having a reception, why don't we do combine the reception together with the evening party? You know, kind of thinking through a little bit of these things. Now, on that very same uh, ev- uh, evening, uh, there's a very big match. In fact, not just any normal match. It happens to be a match between, let me take for example, my beloved Arsenal Football Club and Manchester United. And these two teams have been chasing each other throughout the season, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And guess what? On this very last day, these two teams have 96 points and the same goal difference. It is, uh, it's, 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 it's one of those things that never happens. And so the young man decides to join up together with his fellow young men and be able to go and watch this match. It's a once-in-a-lifetime. But at the same time, what happens is this. It is also his wedding day. So what happens? The bride comes, and she's able to actually come on time. Reverend Mahora is actually waiting. He was actually thinking that the bride was going to be late. But on this particular day, the bride was here at exactly 3.45 p.m. In fact, he was not even ready. He has to quickly get ready, and uh, oh, the bride has come. They look around, the groom is nowhere to be seen. Five o'clock reaches, the groom cannot be found. Seven o'clock, the groom cannot be found. At eight o'clock, the groom calls and says, guess what? We won, we won, we won. <laughs> now, can you imagine the state of this young man when he meets his bride? What is he going to be able to say? There's nothing. Why? Because he forgot a very important thing that was also going on in that day. The young lady is going to be livid. She's going to be angry. And why is she going to be angry? She's going to be angry because somebody forgot a very important day in her life. And I want to say the following. Sometimes don't understand the enmity between us and God. 
until we are able to fully understand how far or how much we have fallen away from God. So, how can we possibly be made right? How can it be possible for this young man to be made right with her bride? How can they even be able to move forward from this point going forward? The thing is this. In God's economy, there's only one person who can be able to do this. God himself. Because God is the one who can be able to justify us, who can be able to put us right with himself. And that is why we look at verse 24, all the way to verse 26, I can read them together. It says this, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. The only person who holds the key to, to forgiveness is none other than God himself. And even for this couple, the only person who can be able to hold the key to us forgiveness is the bride. But in the meantime, the bride needs to be able to talk a little bit about what happened. And have you noticed the following? Sometimes, even in our little interactions with people, have you ever noticed that it's never really about saying sorry? Sorry is the easier, sorry things are the easier bit. Sometimes the harder bit is for you to sit down there and for someone to be able to fully express how, what, how you made them feel. You know, once, you, once they've been able to catharsize, you know, yeah, this is how I felt. Hmm? Yeah, can you imagine? My parents were there. Huh? My pastor was there. And, and what happened? Why? And it is good. That, and, and once somebody is able to express themselves, once you've been able to release what you are feeling deep inside, then you are in a place of being what? Or doing what? Or being able to have a discussion about forgiveness if that is the way forward. Many of us, what we look for is to be let off the hook. You know, that's what you are. Ah, don't, don't worry. These are easy things. We can be able to, to, to sort them out. No. There is always need for one to be able to talk about these things clearly. And, you know, to be justified is actually a legal term. Now, justification is a legal term whereby we are made to be as if we had not sinned, or rather, that which we did has been sorted out. Now, why is letting off the hook not the same as being justified or being forgiven? Classic example. Uh, there are quite a number of motor vehicles in the car park. That means many of us drive. At one time or another, if you're a driver in Kenya, unless you are uh, very, very disciplined, you will have an, an altercation with the what? With the police. And now, in this situation, let's take a case whereby you are the one who is in the wrong. Now, not, it's not about a kwekelewa. You did a U-turn. And you know you did a, U, a U-turn. And then, you know, and it's always interesting. You know, have you ever noticed that sometimes the policemen, it's like they come out of the undergrad, then all of a sudden... He's there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he's always catches you by surprise. Who in Meshikwa? What is always very interesting is this. Uh, a couple of things pop up. Now, for guys, usually, yes, uh, I, I know. I, I, I know I, have, I am wrong. Yes. You know, that's what immediately start off by saying, I know I am wrong. Uh, I did not intend to do that. And they start immediately pleading for what? For mercy. 
For our lady friends, they can also be able to bring out the trump card. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a better trump card that science ladies have. Apart from being able to say, I am sorry, they can be able to say, Yeah, I think once, once, once the waterworks business begins, usually even the cops don't know what to do with that one. <laughs> like, wait, uh, 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 <laughs> this is what I discovered. Uh, as long as you are guilty of the offense, some payment needs to be done. And uh, so, one, and there are a couple of options which are faced with you. One, there's the option of the policeman writing a ticket and asking you to appear in court. Which you do what? Which you appear. And, uh, we all, and, and some of us have that little yellow slip. Eh, fines to the government of Kenya. Yeah, I have one in my, uh, which keeps me disciplined of 10K because of uh, obstruction. Uh, I'm still, still up for debate if I was obstructing or not. Yes. But I have one. Now, uh, but I paid the fine and I was let go. The other option is to be let go. But then what happens is this. Somebody still has to pay. So who pays? It's not, any, it's, it's not opaque. What happens is this. The person who pays actually is a state. But how does, how does the state pay for that fine? The state pays for that fine by virtue of revenue that is denied to it. Because for you to be able to keep on moving around, uh, even, though the, even though the policeman let you go, it means that they did not get what? The fines that were due to it. After all, you have done that which is not wrong, which is not correct. The other option is for the person who has actually arrested you, going to court himself, being able to stand in the dock himself, and paying your fine for you. Those are the only three options that, are, that we are all faced with. So, as we go forward, I want us to be able to realize the following, that to be, the, the gospel is not about being let off the hook. It is to treat as, it is rather, it is to be able to, it's a legal term, pronouncing that someone is justly acquitted because the penalty of their crime has been paid. Furthermore, this verdict can only be made in the present, the moment someone believes. And that is why we have a church to be able to help us to come to a place of being justified. And then how does this come about? It comes about freely by His grace. Paul says that this body comes as a generous gift from God. We should understand that it has, not been, it has, it has been given since it cannot be earned. And we all deserve, according to Paul, uh, and we all deserve, according to Paul, is death. Yet again, we are reminded that this can only come about by grace and grace only. You know, one of the quickest ways to be able to, to, to cheapen uh, a, a gift is by being able to pay for it. Uh, and one of the things that has happened nowadays is that uh, uh, the, the, the whole aspect about uh, being, doing good for the sake of doing good sometimes disappears. Some time ago I happened to have been stuck somewhere and some guys came and helped me push the car. Now, after the car was pushed and I was uh, out, of, out of the mud, the guys went ahead and wanted to be given something small to go and wash their clothes. Now, the minute you give 200 shillings to go for them to go and buy uh, some soap, 
What happens? It becomes a payment. But what would have been even more beautiful is if they say, Nisawasawa, enda. And that is sometimes, that is where we, and that's one of the things that we may not understand about the gospel. It is free. It is given to us. And uh, to kind of get a little bit of a glimpse of what I'm talking about, I'd like to ask you to go ahead and uh, watch again, uh, or rather re-listen to Ted's message about forgiveness from about three weeks ago. It's a powerful message. Because you see, salvation can never be earned. Redemption means a costly deliverance. And to be redeemed is actually something that comes from the marketplace. In Paul's time, slaves were quite common. And because slaves were quite common, what used to happen is this. A slave had no rights or any rights whatsoever. They were property. And so redemption basically meant to go to a market, buy a slave, and then grant that slave freedom. And to tell them to do what? To go and be free and live their life. That was not something that you did easily because slaves were factors of production. Nobody goes and takes a wonderful cow which gives a lot of milk and does, does, does what? And gives away for free or says, I'm not going to be milking this cow anymore. I want it to be free, to be able to graze and to do what it needs to do. No. So in a sense, that is what redemption is all about. We have been freed and freed completely. But also, it would not be right for me not to be able to talk about a word that is in uh, verse 25. And this is the word, for God put forth as a propitiation for his blood, uh, by his blood. Now, this is a word that has divided theologians quite a bit. In fact, in some verses, they don't use the word, I think even the NIV does not use the word propitiation. Why? Because a couple of people have had difficulties with this word because it, it kind of like seems to cheapen God. In this sense... Why is God angry? After all, is he not this all-powerful God who can be able to just forgive sins and, 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 th- and let things be? But the word propitiation here means the satisfaction of wrath. And it comes from the Old Testament language of, or from the Day of Atonement. Just as a code was slaughtered so that God's anger against a sinful Israel could be satisfied, so Jesus is sacrificed to satisfy his wrath against mankind. As Israel prophesied, he took up our infirmities. Punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Indeed, that is what propitiation does. It offers for us the avenue and a way to be able to connect with God and all the benefits that come from there. So Paul emphasizes God's initiative and provision in presenting Jesus as a propitiatory sacrifice, i.e. a payment for us to be able to enjoy this wonderful freedom. And I think that's where sometimes we, 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 we fail to see something very important. What is it? That at the end of it all, our salvation is not cheap. Just because something is available and we see it all the time. You know, one of the things that happens, familiarity makes things a little bit too common. But all of us suddenly realize that fuel is very, very important. Once it was taken away from our petrol stations and we queued, suddenly we were very, very aware. I mean, think about it. Uh, With the price of fuel being where it is nowadays, I'm sure nowadays you're very careful about even the mileage that you're traveling. You know, every kilometer you go, you know, I need to go back to the petrol station. And I might just pay a little bit more. 
And those are just some things for us to, to, to connect and be, and be aware of. Jesus, as a sacrifice or as a propitious a sacrifice for us, has given us an avenue back to God. Thus God himself gave himself in order to save us from himself. That is something for us to be able to remember and to think about. As we begin to think about finishing, it's good for us to be able to ask ourselves, how does this apply to our everyday lives? Let me say this. First, we have a solution from God. Against the backdrop of our hopelessness and helplessness, Paul explains that God does not leave us facing his terrible wrath. He has stepped in and provided a solution. My brother and sister who probably is watching this at this moment, let me go ahead and also address you and say this. Sometimes what happened is that you just found yourself watching this and you, you, are, not even, you are looking for some form of hope. I want to go ahead and say the following, that one of the best hopes we can have in our lives is to know that God takes care of the biggest problem that we face. You see, what happens is this. Many of us, we think about our felt needs, which are transient and they are here for now. Maybe it is lack of rent or uh, a challenge of not having enough school fees to take your child to school or a business going bad. Those are but secondary. At the very core, is something far much deeper. And not this much, much deeper thing. It is, we need to have an essential view of our view and us and God. You see, outside of God, we are condemned. We are overwhelmed by the challenges of living in a fallen world. As Christians, and my brothers and sisters who are here, we need to stick to this message and not move away from it. The implication for our witness to non-Christians is clear. Having fully explained our need and their need for a rescue, we should tell them what God has made known. And the message we'll tell them is one of grace. So, when you have an opportunity in your place of work to start maybe a meeting with a word of prayer, go ahead. You know, one of the things that is happening in our nation is that we're becoming slowly, ever so, ever more slowly, we're becoming more and more secularized. There was a time in this country, even in boardrooms of some, uh, some blue chip companies, meetings were always started with a prayer and was even minuted. So and so prayed. I wonder if that still goes on in some of the companies that we are involved in. But also, we have a solution to our real problem. Many of us come because there are felt needs. And, and I do not want to negate the felt needs. Fully understand the felt needs. And they are real and they are in our face. But God has solved our greatest need. His wrath has been propitiated or has been taken care of. So we can be redeemed from under the sin and thus be acquitted and need not to be further condemned. This explains why Christians must cling to the cross themselves and talk about it in evangelism. Without the achievement of the cross, the gospel is robbed of its power. We can't be rescued from our sin and condemnation if we have not been able to understand Christ's death and resurrection. No wonder Paul talks about it so much in many of his letters. Any alternative, such as Christ taking away our sin, or being a great example, or martyrdom, still leaves us facing God's wrath and God's final judgment. So, this is not a competition between good and evil. No, 
This is a matter of God coming in and making us right with Him. But also, we have what we call a righteous solution. By punishing sin on the cross, God upholds His absolute righteousness when He declares people righteous. It is essential to see the cross as addressing the issue of God's justice. God did not let us off the hook, nor did He overcome His anger with His love. You know, that's the other thing that also happens in this one. No, respond with love. Don't respond with, with hate. No. Uh-uh. God is able to overcome the sin of this world by his righteousness. Rather, Jesus, through death, uh, by his death, the price has been paid. We must be wary of our tendencies to put ourselves at the center of God's plans. Although we are great beneficiaries of his grace, he did not do it primarily for us. Wow. Yes, so your salvation is not about you. Really, it's actually all about God and about His character. His character of being what? His character of being a just God. His character of being a merciful God. His character of being a righteous God. And He takes His righteousness and impacts it upon us. So, it's important that we always look at that. But the last one, and may I invite the worship team at this moment, is this, that there is a solution by faith apart from the law. What does this mean? Face this. This great news of the, in light of Romans, so the, this is great news for us in light of Romans. And I'm hoping that uh, maybe one of these days, uh, here at Raka, there's going to be a series about the book of Romans, so I'll be able to make this even more better in its context. Our attempts at good works result only in our condemnation. But now, God has shown a different way of making us righteous. Thus, we can stop our futile thinking and efforts in trying to please God through doing sufficient good and looking instead to His solution. And I want to go ahead and be able to address all of us in this manner. You see, I think Reverend Mora talked about this. Sometimes we are still putting ourselves in a place of condemnation as a result of things that we did some time ago. Understand that God has already been able to take care of all those things. But also, the thing that we say here at Mamlaka Hill Chapel, to impact the nations for Christ. There is a worldwide solution. Since everyone is facing condemnation, yet can also be made righteous, the door is open for wild evangelization. One of the most beautiful things that happened last week in Diani, we had a coming together of all the different campuses. We had a couple of youths from City Campus, a couple of youths from, uh, from Ruaka, a couple of youths from Germany, and a couple of youths from Diani. And in it, I could not be able but see the beginnings of this gospel through Mamlaka Hill Chapel going towards the ends of the earth. To say to someone does not need to be saved or cannot be saved is to deny the problem that Paul has proven. And the solution which God has provided is to say that Jesus did not need to face God's wrath on the cross. If you fully understand this good news, that everyone can be made righteous, then evangelism will be our greatest aim in our relationships with those who do not know Christ, regardless of who they are. And this goes out to all of us. Whether you're watching us online or you're here, that is the beauty of it all. We can be able to know Christ regardless of where we are. We're going to sing a song. It may be a bit new to some of us, 
but also familiar to others. It's a song about God's grace that leads us home. Thereafter, we will pray. Your grace that leads the sinner home from death to life forever and sings the song of righteousness by blood and not by merit. Your grace that treats it's far and wide to every tribe and nation has called my heart to enter in the joy of your salvation by grace I am redeemed by grace I am restored and now Father and our God, that is our prayer today. I need to connect with you and I need to be able to see you in our lives. Thank you so much for this congregation and myself. Let me ask, maybe there could be somebody here. You've never really been able to appropriate the gospel in your life and be able to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. I think uh, 
it's clear to say that today is a day of salvation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you're here and uh, you'd like to be able to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, or you've not been able to have the gospel articulated like today, I'd like to pray with you. But also I want to pray for another category of people. You walk around a little bit guilty of stuff that has happened. The song is reminding us that by grace we have been redeemed. And we are truly, truly saved. So everything we could have ever done needs to be put far, far away. Because Christ has been able to deal with our sin. My Father and my God, I thank you for your people. I thank you, Father, for your goodness and your love. I thank you, Father, for any person who is here who does not know you as Lord and Savior of their life. Would you begin, my Father and my God, to allow them to be able to come to a place of being able to have a connection with you? I pray, my Father and my God, that they would be able to accept you as Lord and Savior of their life. And from this day going forward, they can know that all their sins have been forgiven because you offered your Son as a sacrifice of atonement for us so that your wrath against our sins will be taken care of forever. But also, Lord, I want to pray for many who know you as Lord and Savior of their life but maybe do not realize that their sins have truly, truly been forgiven. And they may feel like what they have done is really heinous or not right. And maybe they are weighed down by guilt. Friends, I want to tell you, Christ's death on the cross took care of whatever guilt you may ever have. And you are truly, truly redeemed. So even at this moment, receive your freedom in Jesus' name. We do pray and believe. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.